0: up and welcome to difficulty class a podcast about all things dungeons and dragons i'm one of your hosts trevor bettis and with me this week is ali deichman that's right and this week we're going to be talking about boss fights and when you throw too much at your players mm-hmm. as well as uh, answering i almost said listening again <laughs> as well as answering a listener question at the end ali how are your games this week
1: they were good i mean like honestly they were they felt really good um, have you ever had one of those games where you had no idea how you were going to approach it, and then all of a sudden your players did it for you, and things were just great? Yes. Yeah, that kind of happened to me because I was kind of worried about how to get into the next adventure, so to speak, for this campaign, and they kind of just did it for me.
0: So, so we're we're, we're done with the post boss fight, yeah, three we, we... <laughs> chapter <laughs> section. <laughs>
1: yeah, we we kind of are, and um, they've got like their their. <laughs> Not not so much necessarily strictly quest going on, but they have things that they believe they need to do, which lines up perfectly with the adventure that I want to write. And it also helped me figure out what the hell I'm gonna do. Hey, so it kind of all lined up perfectly, and I'm like, this is this couldn't have been better. And nice. So that that was actually a really good session for me and for them. They they actually really enjoyed it. Oh yeah,
0: I guess, you know your players. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um,
1: and then we also did. On Saturday, our bookstore game. Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Quite a lot of people there. That was fun. <laughs> uh,
0: we uh, we did the last part of the essentials kit, mm-hmm. and from how it sounds, uh, all had vastly different games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Josh's group became like uh, worshippers of a red dragon. Yeah,
1: yeah. They that's they... not even
0: in that box. <laughs> I
1: know. They they completely swapped around and and they became worshippers.
0: <laughs> As you do.
1: I mean, all right. You yeah. do you. Mind straight up went we want to kill the dragon and they <laughs> climbed the mountain went through the dungeon and killed the, the dragon well, that's good <laughs> yeah and it was very much just like a to b there you go you did it you killed a dragon which mm-hmm. i mean like it was fun to do granted it was for nine players at a table mm-hmm. so i had to adjust some things but we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later <laughs> yeah
0: Uh um... what about you Let's see. Well, uh, the topic. Uh, what? Uh, what do you do when you throw too much at your players? Well, that's coming from real experience. Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of realized this week. Now I'm. I'm again not going to do spoilers, but I kind of realized my players have a lot of stuff going against them. There is Valindra. Uh There's the dude with the Ring of Winter. Yeah. There is a massive red dragon. Okay. (laughs) And, oh, and then also a bad guy from the Tomb of Annihilation book. And I've now tied it up to where Valindra Uh, wants the ring of winter. The big red dragon wants the ring of winter. The dude with the ring of winter wants to kill the bad guy from Tomb of Annihilation so that he can get his wife back. Uh But the dude, that bad guy, has now since turned a new leaf, and they actually gave him a pep talk at one point when they ran into him (laughs) in the forest. (laughs) And so now, like, there's all of these massive things. So there's a lich. Yeah. An ancient red dragon, yeah. a massively powerful dude with a magic item. An
1: artifact. <laughs> yeah.
0: And my level seven players going to go do something. Not to about mention that it. this
1: is all Storm King's Thunder. <laughs> yeah.
0: Which is which is why I do have the red the red dragon in there is because like I I still did want to tie some stuff in there, which is why I brought him in. And oh, then so w- it's
1: that red dragon. Mm-hmm, 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 oh, mm-hmm. okay. I, I get what you're saying now. Uh-huh,
0: uh-huh, Oh, uh-huh, boy. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right,
1: all right. We yep. can do that.
0: So um, <laughs> that's how that game's going. Yeah. Uh, as far as my bookstore game... Um, well, I got to hear a child, uh, yell, let's neuter the dragon a lot until I told him that if he did it one more time, he was going to has to be leave, has to leave the table. That's fair. Um, but yeah, they went in, killed dragon. It was cool. Like it, it was fun. Like my, yeah. my players had fun, but yeah, like we're going to get into boss fights later. Um, could have been
1: more fun. I feel that.
0: Um, but yeah. So yeah, that's how my games are going. Oh, well, Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's move over into some news. A
1: lot um,
0: of news. Huh? There's a lot of news. There's a lot of news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so first off, uh, we've got Extra Life. Wizards mm-hmm. is doing Extra Life again this year. And uh, one of the ways that you can support that is with the Lokatha... I think that's how you say it. That sounds about right. Lokatha Rising. Uh, it is a supplement that they're putting out through DM's Guild and... Um, D&D Beyond and you can actually now play as a tiny funny looking fish person who has what looks like a seal but also a dog next to him Um, but all proceeds from this product uh, support Extra Life uh, which is a charity that I think is really awesome and has been doing Mm -hmm. really good Um, a lot of YouTubers and stuff that I follow like kind of funny do stuff with it every year and ridiculous hilarity like a wheel that makes them do stupid things to each other happens. And it's really funny. Um, But yeah, so D&D is going to be doing this. I think they're going to be doing a few other things. They usually do some streams uh, every year with it. Um, I don't know if Mike Merles is going to do his... Uh, building a class with everyone donating mm-hmm. thing, but it's really cool and I think you guys should check it out. You should keep an eye on their social feeds for it. I'm actually right now going to retweet the Lokotha thing for the D D beyond at least. I couldn't find the post about DM's guild, but I'll see if I can find it. Um let's see. Oh, Idol Champions is on PS4. Yay. Woo boo, boo 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 you can get addicted to it now too. <laughs> um yeah uh we you and I talked about this beforehand long time coming
1: yeah yeah
0: in fact you were kind of surprised it wasn't even on there yet
1: i, I mean like i know i'm kind of in a little bubble with my little xbox and everything but i kind of thought it was already on the other platforms mm-hmm. but
0: <laughs> what i'm what i'm worried about is when it gets on switch because then i'm like oh, God, oh am I, no <laughs> am i gonna dive into this a third time and give them even more money <laughs>
1: i think i would yeah if it went on switch yeah i would that
0: would be a that'd be really
1: serious. i wasn't I to able to about. get into it on my phone but my phone's also old so it's yeah like... that's fair <laughs>
0: yeah it is kind of <laughs> playing idle champions on an iphone 10 is cool because it works but it's also like i don't have a stylus so like sometimes i'm trying to just get that x to get out of the map <laughs> in the right place can't get it uh, but yeah, so if you have a PlayStation 4 and have been wondering what this game that we talk incessantly about is all about, you can give it a shot for free. So go mm-hmm. download that and have fun. Yeah. Uh, more Mortal champions news. We're getting a new champion uh, tomorrow, so you, it's already out for you listening. Uh, it is Point... I don't know who this person is but you know apparently he's yeah. a he, there's he's he's a berserker vampire dwarf. Oh
1: boy. Okay, so he, he's a battle rager. Okay. Um he's from the uh Mithril Hall essential R.A. Salvatore books. Um real connected to brunor Battlehammer and all those gang. Um he's got a quite an interesting history and I know pretty much the only history I know from him because I actually never read all the books. I only really, you know, played through the 12 chapters of the missions in the Neverwinter MMO. You that only had him.
0: played an amount of time that you probably could have read the books <sighs> in.
1: I know. But. <laughs> <laughs> But he's actually a fun character, and he's got quite a fun attitude about things. So I really like him, and the fact that he's a full-on battle rager in that battle rager outfit too—I really enjoy. I know he's like—he looks
0: insane. He's a spiky boy. He looks like (laughs) if Rhino from Spider-Man just went nuts and was short. (laughs) And was short. I
1: mean, that's that's point for you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He. I'm gonna get him because I just get all the champions, but my God, he looks insane. I'm excited
1: to see what he does for the Mithril Hall champions because I know that's already a pre-op, like a good team mm-hmm. as it is, and so he's gonna be buffing that team as it is, and I'm, I'm excited to see what that does. Yeah,
0: um, one of the, one of the things they say in this blog post is uh, not only does he make uh, Barrowin relevant again, he also helps elevate Binwin and Brunor uh, in an especially big way. So, apparently, he's going to, like, balance with the other dwarves, which is pretty cool. Oh, awesome. Yeah, because I would love to use Benwin all the time, but he uses that same spot as Nyla, and I love her. Mm Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Our last bit of news is An Unearthed Arcana came out between Yay. when we recorded and <laughs> last time. I think time. it
1: was like literally that day. <laughs> oh, I was the
0: next day. Yeah, oh, okay. I was, I yeah. was at uh, I was at Universal Studios that day, and I'm like, oh, hey, An Unearthed Arcana came out. Yeah, I can't read that right now. <laughs> I'm too busy pretending I'm a wizard. Nerd. <laughs> i know i bought robes and a new I mean, wand you're
1: there so you might as well right yeah
0: i was a 31 year old man walking around a candy store full of wizard candy in a harry potter robe felt great it had
1: to have been <laughs> Did my wife
0: bought a <laughs> cauldron cake and it looked like how food from hookwood and then i found out <laughs> i hate that because it tasted terrible <laughs> but we got a little silicone cauldron so that's cool nice uh but that doesn't have to do with Dungeons and dragons uh unearth arcana <laughs> This is the, so uh this is what's really cool. This is the second in one month, Yeah, which is pretty sweet. they're
1: kind of harkening back to, I think, I want to say last year, where they were doing like two a month, and Heck they were just yeah, releasing I'm down for them that. over and over and over again, which in reality is really great because it allows people to, like test a lot of different things like if you're not into uh monks you could test out a bard mm-hmm. but um
0: and we've already had people bringing those to our bookstore game which yeah. is awesome
1: oh yeah i mean like literally the day after um that monk Arnold arcana came out mm-hmm. we had the bookstore game yep. and then it was like oh there's suddenly someone oh, with one of the characters uh, Evan did it. Yeah evan, yeah evan brought in the the monk and that was really cool because he actually really enjoyed it mm-hmm.
0: But this one is the Bard and Paladin, specifically mm-hmm. the College of Eloquence and the Oath of... The Sacred Oath. Yeah, the,
1: the Oath of Heroism. The Oath
0: of Hero. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. I don't know why. I know.
1: Pally's um, man. Bringing down the fourth
0: wall a little bit. It is 9.50 at night when we both just got off work. <laughs> I'm a little out of it. It is the Oath of Heroism. Yes. <laughs> um. Spoilers. I don't like these. <laughs>
1: I know. I mean like so in the end it is Unearthed arcana. And the whole point of them is for you to play test them and yeah. give them your thoughts and fill out the survey and tell them what you liked and didn't like. And... The
0: thing is like with the, like with the sorcerer and warlock I feel like that is reasonable. Like I would make the the warlock and stuff and try it out. Yeah. Um even though like at a glance I'm like eh, this is okay. These ones I wouldn't even play.
1: Yeah, I'm so I've got some, I've, I, I also have some feelings towards them as mm-hmm. well. Uh, some good because like there are some bits that are like fun and exciting, but then others are like, well, why don't you just multi-class and do the same thing mm-hmm. for better? And it's like, eh. well, I mean, like we kind of talked about it funny enough uh, a few weeks ago where it's like, well, because that's the character you want to play. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, but if you want to play this character, there's better ways to do it. <laughs> do,
0: um, do you want to go through them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I kind of do. Okay. Um. So, first up is the College of Eloquence. Um. There's a lot of big words in here, so just a heads up. So if I say <laughs> something wrong, sorry. As long
0: as it's not Cyclopean, we're out of Lovecraft territory.
1: <sighs> or Paizo territory, because, oh my oh god. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you ever
1: we're... read those uh, block texts? Because if you haven't, just read them for a bit. <sighs>
0: okay. I, I swear we're going to try and not beat on Pathfinder <laughs> as much, but man.
1: There have been points where I straight up look at Ike, our DM, and I'm like, what does that word mean? Yeah, He's like, we've had oh, to, I actually, don't know. We,
0: we actually had to Google a couple words a few times. Yeah,
1: on my sheet there are proudly three words that I have learned thanks to Pathfinder. No, <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the College of Eloquence, mm-hmm. speaking of speaking well. Um, Adherents of the College of Eloquence master the art of oratory. Persuasion is regarded as a high art and a well-reasoned, well-spoken argument often proves more powerful than objective truth. These bards wield a blend a blend of logic and theatrical wordplay.
0: I don't know. I think bland's kind of right.
1: Yeah, winning over skeptics and de- detractors with logical arguments and plucking at heartstrings to appeal to the emotions of entire audiences. So that's the summary of the class. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I don't. Think I mean, that like fits in general,
1: that's kind of what a bard already is. Yeah. Personally, um, however, this one is supposed to be that and more. Um, They kind of dive into, like, the basic concept of what a bard is and give you actual things for it. So, like, the first one is universal speech. It's at third level. Um, You gain the ability to speak and reason with anybody, regardless of what languages they know and everything. Um, The only downside is that you have to expend one of your uses of your bardic inspiration. And and then you roll that die, mm -hmm. and that's how many people you can affect with it.
0: And those people affected uh, can understand your language for mm-hmm. like what was it the next does it, does it say how long first the language they speak for uh, 10 minutes for 10 minutes yeah like that's cool until you have to roll for it which i mean i guess like if it's a group of people that you don't speak the language of the other person can translate for you but like that's a weird thing
1: usually when you're in an encounter a social encounter too yeah there's usually only one person that you actually have to talk to yeah and in a lot of, like, uh, book encounters, too, that is the case. And so when it comes to, like, oh, here is a chance for you to get more people. I think it was just the fact of that you're expending your die so they wanted to do something with it. Mm-hmm. That part I didn't really understand. Whereas, like, I would have much rather have this been connected to your modifier where it's, like, you can do this equal to a number of time a day equal to your charisma modifier. Yeah, I think that would have been better. But, I mean, it, one of the neat things is that it, this works on even on a creature that doesn't speak any languages yeah so it's like you actually have a chance with like animals and stuff too you could actually legitimately talk to them and they'd understand you um
0: and then let's see the next one is soothing soothing words words. you can basically you can cast calm emotions without spending a spell slot and you can do it a number of times per day equal to your christmas fire yeah all Um, right cool
1: um for those that don't quite understand why we're not super thrilled about this calm emotions um let me just kind of briefly go over the spell so it's an action there's a range to it and it's concentration for one minute now you think the words calm emotions that means oh i can cast this spell and people will try to stop hitting us right not quite so (laughs) you attempt to suppress strong emotions in a group of people each humanoid in a 20-foot radius sphere centered on your point make a charisma save um if a creature fails choose one of the following two effects you can suppress any effect causing a target to be charmed or frightened. When the spell ends, any suppressed effect resumes, provided that its duration is not expired. Alternatively, you can make a target indifferent about creatures of your choice that it is hostile towards. This indifference ends if the target is attacked or harmed, witnesses, or if it witnesses any of its friends being harmed. Mm-hmm. Um, when the spell ends, the creature becomes hostile again. So the only really thing I can imagine it being super useful about, especially when you level up like crazy, is that frightened bit. Because there are some scary, scary monsters out there mm-hmm. that uh, just being able to give all of your friends just blocking against that calm emotions like that would that would be helpful. But yeah. aside from that, it's not as utility useful as you'd think because God God bless my friend Marcos. He, he's tried to use calm emotions so much in all the games that he's played in and it doesn't quite work ever really like it doesn't really present itself as the best spell to use in that situation
0: my thing is that like these two because so both of these that we just talked about are the third level uh features both of them feel like secondary features yeah. like they feel like the secondary feature to the one super awesome and the reason you pick the class thing yeah and they both just feel secondary they don't feel like main features mm-hmm. uh after that there is uh what is that? Undeniable logic. Yes. And essentially, uh, you choose something, uh, a creature within 60 feet of you that can hear you, uh, and you spend a bardic inspiration die, and either you, you roll it, and either that creature takes the damage equal to what you roll and has disadvantage. Uh, oh. Um, and they, they have to make a save. They have to make an intelligence save, and then they have disadvantage. Yeah. Or they heal that many hit points, and they have advantage
1: yeah so again it's the number you roll yeah so like at sixth level the like the bardic inspiration die the biggest one i think it gets up to is a d12 right and so um dealing psychic damage like 12 or under isn't really a huge thing especially if even if you get up to like level five like at that point that's not gonna make a huge difference
0: and then the fact that they have to make an intelligence save and there's
1: that like you were talking about that earlier where it's there's these steps in order to get to the cool thing that happens Mm -hmm. that there's there's qualifiers that you have to breach.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's cool to maybe heal, you know, six hit points and, uh, then get advantage instead of just giving them the die to roll with it. Yeah. But well, Oh, actually, sorry. It's, uh, advantage on the next saving throw it makes, uh, before the end of your next turn. That's not, and the disadvantage is only on saving throw that may i'd even i thought it was uh, just next roll that's i don't like that that's boring
1: yeah no it's it must succeed an intelligence saving throw against your spells easy or have a disadvantage on the next saving throw it makes before the end of your next yeah. turn so it's not disadvantage in general it's only on a saving throw for that next turn. Yeah. So, in reality, it's an advantage machine. And you wouldn't th- really ever use it for that one unless you have a built party specifically for that.
0: And that's the sixth level feature. Like, yeah. no.
1: And then way, way, way later in the class, you get your 14th level uh ...feature, which is Infectious Inspiration, which personally I think is the only super cool thing about this class.
0: This feels like what should be the mainline third level.
1: Like that should scale with it as you go up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When a creature adds one of your Bardic Inspiration dice to its ability check, attack roll, or saving throw, and the roll fails, the creature can keep the Bardic Inspiration die. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get used up. In addition, when a creature adds one of your Bardic Inspiration die and it succeeds... You can use reaction to encourage a different creature that can hear you within 60 feet of you, giving you a Bardic Inspiration Die without expanding any other uses. So essentially you get like nearly double the amount of Bardic Inspiration die, which I think is super cool. Um, you can do this a number of times equal to your charisma mod, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So it's like
0: I, I feel like you could take out the the part about it not about you getting extra inspiration things it, and just make it so that as soon as that goes away, you can use reaction to give another inspiration to someone else and you can make that the third level feature. Yeah. And that would be fine because again, it's tied to your charisma modifier and
1: yeah. Yeah. But the, the six level one where it's like they take psychic damage or they regain hit points that doesn't matter much especially at sixth level it's Mm -hmm. even like even at the most health or damage you can deal 12 is not a lot yeah um but that's our views on the bard that they gave us um honestly i'd be willing to give it a shot but i would probably multi-class with it yeah because personally i wouldn't bother going to level 20 especially since bard's level 20 is not great it's like oh you get to regain a bardic inspiration if you don't have any <laughs> anyways
0: um the oath of heroism i would like to just kind of fly through because it is super boring
1: <laughs> yeah it's so at first glance it feels like hercules like this is the guy that you look up to and you've heard stories about it's a literal myth of a man but then like the actual like the actual features aren't really exciting at all
0: the the third level spells that you get i'm not gonna go through them but they are boring
1: and other um oaths actually provide a lot of these spells and in my opinion are a better choice
0: the only interesting ones i see is ninth level for haste and protection from energy but that's still that's ninth.
1: um the oath of i think i want to say vengeance has haste yep it does, so it's like, but
0: it also has like hold creature and hold or hold person and hold monster. Like I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> the channel divinity. One of them is you use your channel divinity to augment your ath- uh, athleticism with divine favor. As a bonus action, you gain advantage on all strength, athletics, and dexterity, acrobatics checks for the next ten minutes. And then the other one is, uh, you can use your channel divinity as a bonus action to guide your attacks for one minute. Your weapon attack score a critical hit on a nineteen or twenty.
1: So do. you? Let's just say what they're called. So, a uh, legendary strike, yeah, is the you can score a critical hit on the nineteen or twenty, and in reality, that's just kind of stealing it from the champion fighter, and it's like, but worse because you can only do it like once or twice, depending on how many channel divinities you got.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the peerless athlete is honestly kind of boring. Yeah,
0: no, that that one, I, I don't even know what to say about the peerless ath- athlete. Like that doesn't. It does nothing for me. Legendary strike that I feel like should be uh, old school true strike where it uh, it's like you have plus 20 to the attack. Yep. But that still means you can roll a one. Yeah. And um, so like odds are you're going to hit, but there's still that chance you're not. And that makes it legendary, but there's still a chance you fail. Yeah. This is just you score on a 19 or 20 for the next, you know, like
1: what is it? Instead of a 5% chance, you get a 10% chance yeah. of critting. Yeah. Um, So the reason why they're focusing on giving you a higher chance of a crit is because of the next few things. Uh, The mighty deed you get at seventh level. Um, Your actions can bolster your allies and demoralize your enemies. So whenever you do get a critical hit or reduce a creature to zero hit points, whenever you roll at nat 20 or kill a creature, um, you can choose one or more creatures that you can see within 30 feet. And a number... Up to or equal your Charisma mod, which, I mean, makes sense because you're a paladin because you're going to be going for that Charisma mod anyways, but d- we'll I'll, talk about, I'll talk about it in a yeah. minute. Um, and so all the and creatures are affected by one of the following effects. So you're either going to choose your allies or enemies. You can't choose and or because it's only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the creature gains temp HP equal to 1d6 plus your Charisma mod. That's it. Yeah. Um, or the creature must succeed on a wisdom saving throw against your DC or be frightened of you until the start of your next turn and once you use it you can't use it again until the start of your next turn so the neat thing about that you can use it again at the start of your next turn it's like so if you kill a dude at this turn and then the next turn you kill another dude and then the next turn you kill another dude it's like yeah you could actually do this over and over and over again but it's like they're trying to make critting like what triggers it and so we talked about for the bard like having all these barriers Mm -hmm. to get to the cool thing
0: yeah so you have to crit or kill a creature Mm -hmm. then they have to fail a uh saving throw and then they're just frightened
1: yes to get through those two barriers which may or may not come up very often depending Mm -hmm. on your party build um and the only thing you get is frightened of you Yep, for one turn so there's that 7th level. And then level.
0: the other one, temp hit points equal to 1d4 plus your charisma modifier. So, you know, around that level, like, you're going to, at best, get 10 or 11 uh, temp hit points.
1: Yeah. And, like, we... we and
0: that's not going to scale well.
1: Yeah, we talked about that. Like, at least with bards, your bard is going up to a d12. This yeah. is going to stay a d6 yeah. plus your charisma mod.
0: Like, when you get up into the higher level stuff... That's gone in one hit and you're yeah. your still gonna take damage from it.
1: Yeah, it's it's not great.
0: Uh glorious defense. Um let's see. So this is
1: fifteenth level feature. Yeah.
0: Oh, I think I actually skipped this as we were going through it. <laughs> uh your blessed glory on the battlefield can uh misdirect an attack when a creature you see Oh no, this yeah. Yeah uh when you get uh hit, you can use your reaction uh, To add a bonus to your AZ Eagle To your charisma modifier If the attack misses You get to make a weapon attack against them Again This is 5th edition Your modifiers are not going up that much yeah. Over time
1: Like the most it'll be Is be 5th f-
0: Yeah and so Like
1: 20 And,
0: and so like Having all of these things tied to Your charisma modifier To Add to things. Uh, I don't. I just like me personally, when I make characters, I focus on feats. I don't go for the ability score or things. And if I do, it's because the feat gives it. Yeah. And so like these features do not matter to me.
1: You know what? I just thought it would be better than your charisma modifier for this one, especially. Hmm. Half your level. Because I mean like 15th level, half of that is seven. Plus seven to an AC is something. Yeah. And so when you get to level 20, you'll be plus 10 to your AC. I,
0: I would... That one's a little too much for me. Half your level is getting into the fourth edition territory. But, yeah. like, I, there, there has to be a better way to do it. Yeah. Um, and then the 20th level, Living Myth.
1: Yeah. So you can now empower yourself with the legends uh, told of your great deeds. As a bonus action, you gain the following benefits for 10 minutes. You are blessed with otherworldly comeliness gaining advantage on all charisma checks. Uh, once on each of your turns, when you make a weapon attack and miss, you can cause that attack to hit instead. And if you fail a saving throw, you can use your reaction to succeed instead. So the second two, I think, are pretty dang cool. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, that's probably what... That, that's what this archetype, like, kind of led up to, is the fact that it's like, oh, it's like kind of like using the legendary feature of monsters. It's like, mm-hmm. no, they can just choose to succeed. And that's kind of, like, what the whole theme of this oath is about, because I don't think we really went over it, but it's, like, for whatever reason, a god or a group of gods has included you in their machinations. You are not a reluctant hero, but one who fully embraces the idea that great deeds are yours to achieve. So you train diligently, sculpting your body and refining your skills, so you're ready when destiny calls. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really meant for, like, characters that are... That know that they're going to be there mm-hmm. for something.
0: Yeah, we, we talked about how, like, I wanted to do a Hercules-style game. Yeah. And, like...
1: And at first glance, this would be it.
0: Yeah, but no. Like, the the second two are freaking awesome. And when you consider that it's for 10 minutes, pretty OP. Yeah. And then the first one is, okay, I guess. That's all right. Yeah.
1: It's only advantage on all charisma checks. Like, like, you could still roll a three and a four on those charisma checks. And then if you're at most adding five with your charisma mod, and then...
0: You're a living legend, but eh, your smile's not that good. Um,
1: yeah, it's, I don't know about the, that
0: one. The thing for me is that, like like I said, those last two are f- pretty much OP. Mm-hmm. Like, for ten minutes, you can just decide, no, I hit with that. Yeah. Um, I think... You could do better if you uh, moved the first one to choose to succeed and and, uh, keep it for 10 minutes. But basically, each of them has a number of uses. Like, for the next 10 minutes, uh, you can use one of the following five times. Yeah. So... Not every one of your hits is going to... Well, again, it says one per turn. So, like, you would choose when that one meant something and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Because, again, even with monsters, like we were saying, they only only have so many legendary resistances per day. Yeah, and this
1: is ten minutes. That's well over a single attack. Like, that's well over one single encounter. Yeah. And, I mean, combined with all the other fun stuff that paladins get, like being able to just smite every turn and all Mm -hmm. that jazz, it's like... Yeah, it's really helpful, but I I mean, like at this point, you're level 20. If you have a single bard in the group with you, your charisma checks aren't going to mean anything because mm -hmm. they're going to be like way beyond you. They're like, oh, I add 23 to my persuasion. It's like, well, why am I rolling this? (laughs) I actually
0: literally forgot that this was the paladin thing. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, this makes sense for a fighter. No, this doesn't make sense for a paladin. It doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, because this champion of a dude can also cast spells. Mm -hmm. And it's based off of his charisma.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and we were talking about, like, uh paladin like you don't you just have the two stats that you're going to focus on you're going to focus on like probably strength con and charisma so your charisma is probably not going to go up as high as everyone else is doing stuff and so having stuff tied to the number of charisma it's just eh, i don't i don't like these
1: it really depends on like what your party build is usually i kind of tend to see paladins becoming tanks Mm -hmm. um which would mean Less well, especially strength. this one. <laughs> yeah, like, less of a strength and more charisma and con build. Yeah. Whereas, like, I do see some striker paladins where they go in there and they deal all the damage. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that's what this one would be, but it's like, but they're going to be up there with everything else. And they kind of need that yeah. con, or they definitely need some sort of healer.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what we thought. It's not very good. I... Like, I still like that they're doing these, and I really, really hope that they keep doing them and stuff like that. But I do hope that they go back and take a look at these ones, because...
1: Have they done a wizard yet? No, they haven't. <gasps> I know.
0: I know. I'm excited. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if they're going to do a wizard, since the Artifaster is kind of that thing. Uh, he's oh, well, really no, the art ar- No, the artifacter is a separate class, Yeah, my bad. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, if you've ever thought that we just kind of love everything wizards does i think this like which kind of shows you that no that's not true we we have criticisms but we do love that they're doing it and i hope that they take some more time and love with it
1: definitely if you have the chance give it a play test and fill out the survey when it comes out i believe in the middle of next month at some point
0: yes um basically the surveys have been going up as soon as the new unearth arcana
1: yeah which is why my guess is next month at some point it'll be out
0: um, all right. Well, that's all the news we got. We got no dungeon keeping, as is the streak. <laughs> um, so let's uh let's hop into our first topic, which is boss fights.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to talk about boss fights this week for multiple reasons. Um, one of them being I'm getting into this part in my campaign where boss fights are pretty much all they're fighting at this point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it needs to be more than just like your average encounter. Um And also what we just did on Saturday with the bookstore, like that was supposed to be a boss fight. That was supposed to be like the big thing. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of wanted to take the chance today to talk about what would make, like, what would separate a boss fight from a normal fight encounter.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I did an episode about this on Dungeon Driver a long time ago. Yeah. And... It was an all right conversation. I think I, with myself, like I said, conversation with myself. Again, it's late. I'm tired. Um, But I think I recorded that at like 6 a.m. So I'm also like tired and out of it during that one too. So it's really fitting. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, yeah, boss fights were always the weak point. Like I'd always build them up in my head and then my players would go in and absolutely destroy it. I remember yeah. I had... I got this super cool Hydra figure in fourth edition. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a super cool fight. And I led up to it really cool and everything. And they got in that room and murder fight it. It didn't get a turn. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: that will happen so much. If you're a new DM and you're like, oh, man, this boss fight's going to be so difficult. And all of a sudden you're realizing, oh, oh, I'm not going to get a turn. Oh, no. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) It will happen. No Um, worries.
0: And so it took me a long time to figure out boss fights. And again, I'm going to reference the game that I, I, I I'm gonna, uh, so destiny helped me with this <laughs> uh, because I played so, so much of it. Um, And that was the boss fights that I want to mean something. I like to turn into a puzzle.
1: Yeah. I was actually going to talk about that where it's, if you've ever played those video games where it's like, oh, it's the boss fight, and you go into the room, and then you have to you have to swing at his legs three times until the health bar goes down to zero, mm-hmm. and then he gets on his knee, and then you press B a bunch of times, and then, oh, you dealt a lot of damage. Then you have to do that again, and then you do it again, and then you do it a third time. Oh, and there's his health bar, and then he's down, and it's like it's just wash rinse repeat, and it's super boring. But it's like, oh, and this yet- thing is super difficult. And yet
0: you and I are sitting here and being like, so we co-opt the entirety of Dark Souls 3. <laughs> and it's like...
1: But Dark Souls has its own challenges. They because, do, but
0: but there are those enemies like, there are those bosses that's just, you know, uh walk up, fight, raise shield, block, dodge, hit, raise shield, block, dodge, shed.
1: I'm trying to think of a game specifically that I can like reference. Like I think Dante's Inferno did that a lot, where like the really big dudes, where mm-hmm. it's like, Oh yeah, all these big guys, and then it's like, well, all you have to do is just hit their arm a couple times yeah. and they're down. But the,
0: but there there's like there's a lot of stuff for me in Destiny that did this where it was like they go through invulnerable phases and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and I don't quite like the invulnerable phases, but I like um there is a boss fight, and I, I did this one with you um with, in uh, Gar right yeah, yeah. with uh Princes of the Apocalypse, um I read through the dungeon everything, and when it got to them, I'm like, all right, that's a boss fight, I guess. <laughs> sure. But I looked at the stats and I looked at where you guys were. I'm like, they're going to obliterate him. Yeah. Like this whole dude that I've been building up to be a terrifying cult leader is just going to die. Yeah. So I came up with this idea of uh, him having these floating orbs of water that he summoned in the room. And they would shoot out and latch onto him. And basically put this bubble shield over him, which gave him a shitload of resistances, mm-hmm. and uh, in some cases invulnerability. Like if it especially was, especially
1: if all of them were up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. And so then my then you guys figured out like, oh, okay, so that's latched to him. I'm gonna go hit one of the things. Okay, you hit it. It turned off. Mm-hmm. And so then you guys had to do this balancing act between making sure the leashes were weren't on him figuring out so, the
1: action economy to yeah take him down yeah. so that
0: you could actually hit him all the while he could hit you no matter what
1: yeah
0: and so that balanced it mm-hmm. and um i have enjoyed doing that stuff but it doesn't work for every boss like yeah the boss fight at the end of um the uh, essentials kit I sat there and looked at it. I'm like, I don't really have a good way of doing this. Um, and because we had so many players, what I did was I upped it from a young white dragon to an adult (laughs) white dragon. And we can get into how, legendary actions and stuff actually affect it because oh, yeah. i do find that that stuff is really important yeah and that and doing that did change the encounter and did make it fun it changed stuff up
1: yeah and it changes the feel of things too like if a player is going like okay that was my turn and then you stop and you're like all right and then the dragon does this and they're yep. like what yeah, yeah yeah and it really changes the feel of the encounter from like just your average encounter to something that could really be dangerous really quick mm-hmm. um but i think that's something to say though is like changing just just making a boss encounter a boss encounter simply because the creature's stats has a big ac and a huge health pool and it's like Mm -hmm. that doesn't make for a boss encounter because these guys will just in two turns take him down and then that'll be it
0: the yeah and the the thing that i've stayed away from because i know as a player i hate it is taking something away from the players that hinders them or um just making the the thing like a giant bullet sponge, and I'm using that from Destiny like because we're talking about
1: specializing versus one of the players in particular or the group in particular. Like if you have a full party of wizards and it's like, oh, magic doesn't do anything against this creature, and it's like, ah. Well, it, not not even just like that.
0: Like, um, and I'll get to what bullet sponge means in a second, yeah. but um, <laughs> but like doing, uh, oh, there's an anti magic field. None of your magical gear works.
1: Oh god, yeah.
0: Um, oh, uh there's something going on in this room and if you Dude, the, like, I, I can't think of it right now. Again, like, out of it. Um, but, yeah, doing stuff like that where you're taking away. Oh, like, the creature. Uh, this dude can't be crit on or stuff oh, like God. that. Where it's just, like, it's taking away something in the game that the players yeah. like using. And it's not even that it's overpowered. It's just they like doing it. And it's the thing that they have fun doing. But let me take it away and make you sit here for 40 minutes beating away on a bullet sponge. And Now, what I mean by bullet sponge is... Just giving the creature a ridiculous amount of health just so that it lasts for 10 rounds, and this is something that fourth edition was completely guilty of. Oh, yeah! Like, you know, I when we played fourth edition again a few months ago, like, you guys fought a beholder that had 900 HP. Oh, my god, <laughs> Tiamat in fifth edition is 600 for reference, yeah. Um, and It's just...
1: uh... I 100% get what you're saying, though, about like... Because something that... uh, Pathfinder, that I've kind of come up against over and over and over again... I play a rogue in Pathfinder. And Mm -hmm. all of my abilities are centered around the fact that I'm able to sneak attack stuff. There's only like two caveats for me to sneak attack something. I have to essentially catch them... um, What's the word? Flat-footed or flank with someone. Mm -hmm. But then... We've reached a point where we're constantly going up it's things, things that either A, can't be caught flat-footed, or B, can't be flanked, or C, simply can't be sneak-attacked because they don't have any vital organs or what have you. I hate that one. And it's like, I'm over here like, cool, so I'm a halfling. I'm only dealing a D3 plus my damage modifier on there, which is very low because, mm-hmm. spoiler, I roll 15 dice on and that's attack, my damage. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, what am I supposed to do when I can't sneak attack yeah I'm just there doing nothing yeah and that feels so bad as a player
0: the no one remembers a boss fight because of how long it took oh god yeah and (laughs) that's why like one of my favorite things uh from any game I've played is the fact that after we finish Strahd I was driving home with Kyle and I was like, So, did the Strahd fight feel good? Did it feel threatening? And he's like, Oh, yeah, dude. Like, I was, I was freaked out that we were going to die. Like, Mm -hmm. he was like, Yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. And I'm like, Did you realize it was only three rounds? And he goes, (laughs) What? I was like,
1: Mammoth came in the room. Yeah. I was like, Strahd was at half health.
0: (laughs) I was like, Yeah, it only lasted three rounds. But, yeah. And what I kind of want to segue into is, he got to do stuff because of his legendary actions and his lair mm-hmm. actions. And really pay attention to those if you've got a boss that is a legendary creature. Because man, they completely change up the fight and lets you have those terrifying moments. Like yeah. Strahd's lair action is he can just pass through walls in Ravenloft.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: like and that happened when the mammoth got dropped on him. I was like, cool, you get up. He's not there. He's
1: under the floor. <laughs> He's under the floor. He just passes
0: right there. He's whatever. He does whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, he
1: pulled a kitty, I think, from X Men. Right where you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She
1: just fell through the floor. <laughs> um,
0: and using legendary creatures has definitely made fights more interesting mm-hmm. um that's why i really wish there was a block thing for valindra because it just says just use a lich and i'm like yeah
1: but they don't do anything cool so that's kind of where i want to go into my next uh, i guess advice for when building a boss creature steal from other monsters
0: oh yeah um when i made drock for our in-game one um I made sure to give him legendary actions and legendary resistances.
1: Um, I believe at the end of, I want to say, Mordekinans. It's one of the, it's either Mordekinans or Volos, but there's some extra NPCs that have stat blocks. And one of them is actually like, I think a CR6 human. That's just like a champion, I think is his name, but he has legendary actions. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's such a nice low level legendary action creature that you can just easily pull from. I constantly pull from that stat block to just add on to one of my NPCs that I suddenly have to fight with. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, this person's actually way cool, believe it or not. Yeah.
0: Yeah, doing um and like you were saying earlier, action economy. Yeah. Like that's the thing is that like having villains have the having boss fights have legendary actions and lair actions, it's allowing you to do more stuff when there's just one thing in the room, because you know, if you have a bunch of level six fighters, like how many taxes that could be coming in? <laughs> yeah. You got uh,
1: 12 attacks coming yeah. in. And all of a sudden your dude who has like four different actions they could possibly do, but only did one in his turn. Mm-hmm. Suddenly he's going to not have anything to do his next. Turn yeah. He's going to be dead. <laughs> Whereas if
0: they have legendary actions, like, cool. Uh, you finished your turn. Cool. He misty steps to the rest of them. Yep. Yeah.
1: And it's like, just being able to give them legendary actions can change a fight so yeah. quick.
0: And, and, like, I legitimately think having legendary actions and lair actions, you could have a boss fight last, like I did with Strahd, last three turns, mm-hmm. and they will remember it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I did for a boss fight at the end of Stone King's Thunder, too. I gave her different legendary actions than the book provided because I'm like, well, she's a wizard on top of what she is. Mm -hmm. So she should be able to cast spells. So I just straight up made up legendary actions that fit the action economy. Like, Oh, one point you can cast a cantrip or a level one spell for one legendary action point.
0: I, I really do think that those are probably the easiest way to do, interesting boss fights mm-hmm. um i do recommend looking at doing puzzling stuff though because it is a lot of fun
1: yeah and it really changes up things especially like the more the players have to interact with the environment i think the more fun the boss fight can be yeah for everyone all around yeah um, do
0: having environmental stuff like that and just having Stuff for players to do and move around mm-hmm. is a lot of fun. And you can do that stuff outside of boss fights too. But I think doing those is kind of like the the topper. Yeah. But do also consider Leaving stuff, especially if it's in a dungeon, doing some slight stuff like it earlier on in some encounters, almost
1: foreshadow it. For
0: uh, yeah, I mean that's what they do with video games, where they teach you the mechanics before Before you get to the boss, so you know what to do.
1: Yeah, unless you're doing
0: a Destiny raid and you just get thrown in there and wish for the best.
1: (laughs) I mean that happens. Yeah, but it's definitely more fun if you hint to your players what's gonna be coming up because then they can kind of see it and it clicks, and you can always see it on their face when it clicks. Oh, I love that moment. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely recommend playing with the environment. I mean, like, fun examples, Dark Souls 3, mm-hmm. the big-ass tree. It's like, oh, you're oh, fighting it, yeah, you're, fighting yeah, it yeah. you're fighting it, you're fighting it, then all of a sudden the entire floor gives out, and God. you have to go into an entirely new area. I love
0: that fight. And
1: it's such a cool fight, and it's such a big surprise. You mm-hmm. had no idea it was going to happen mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah. And <laughs> um, another fun one that really, like, changes around the environment is Monster Hunter, like, with Diablos. Mm-hmm like you just get sucked into a whole new plane of area that you did not really expect. And it's terrifying mm-hmm. the first time you go down there and it, it can really change a fight when the entire environment changes at the, just the drop of a hat. Yeah. And I wouldn't recommend doing it in every encounter because then it gets old.
0: Yeah. It gets samey.
1: Mm-hmm. But um, definitely like examine the environment that the boss is in and also take into consideration. Why is the boss hanging out in that room for some reason? Is it because they've set up a ritual to cast upon these orbs of water that will give them protection? Or is it because it's like their bedroom and they just like to hang out in there? Think about that when you build your boss fights, because I mean, I know a lot of DD books have are guilty of that where it's like, this is, this is the boss area because it's the boss area. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one thing that was cool about the essentials kit is that the area that you're supposed to end up fighting the dragon is literally the only area the dragon could literally fit in mm-hmm. and i'm like okay i can appreciate that like there was some stuff throughout the whole dungeon that you could like oh you could look at but in the end it was like no this is this is the showdown place yeah and it did kind of almost feel like a stage it's like the way they set it up it did um yeah i mean like i did something similar to you when it came to that dragon because there were nine people um at first, I played it off as a young dragon when it was attacking the town. Mm-hmm. But then, when they brought it down to like half health, they're like, "Oh, it fled away." And then they, <laughs> then they chased after it. And when they actually fought it, it was an actual adult dragon, full hit points and mm-hmm. legendary actions and everything. And that really threw them off because they're like, "Whoa, it got stronger!" And I'm all like, "Oh, it might be the area. Ooh. It might be because he's in his environment." Ooh. Ooh. And they really liked that. It was like it was it was a minor thing, but it was neat.
0: That's good. Well, I think we're going to end that one there because we're already at 50 minutes. (laughs) And (laughs) this is going to be a long episode. Uh, But hopefully that helped you out. If you have any questions about boss fights or anything like that, Mm -hmm. send those into difficultyclass at gmail.com and we'd be happy to talk about them. Yeah. Let's get into our DMs Guild spotlight. Now, going to preface this, we did get this for free from the lead developer on it. Thank you so much. Thank you uh Brian Holmes uh, for supplying this really we really appreciate it. And so just want to be upfront with that uh they are not paying us in any way for it. We just got the supplement to read through and uh check out. Uh but if you think that is going to sway us in any way, you know, that is your opinion, but um th- we would be pretty honest with you about it. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, like, tick- I mean, are- on Arthur of opening with that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh so, uh the supplement is called Hellbound Heists. So good, okay. yes. Uh, this came out at almost a perfect time. It's almost like they planned it. Oh, it's Whoa. weird. Uh, <laughs> so these are nine heists in the nine layers of hell, mm-hmm. and it is perfect if you are going to be going into avernus and want some extra stuff to do, yeah. or if you just want a different way of your players getting into avernus because that could totally be how that works the first uh adventure does take place on avernus so you can get them in there and then have the rest of the adventure happen without doing all the boulders gate stuff yeah um and then yeah each one of them afterwards is in uh, the you know lower layer of uh the nine hells and there's some crazy shit <laughs> Really, there is. Yeah. um i'm not gonna tell you where but there's a train <laughs> And as soon as I read that one, I want to run this.
1: So, like, honestly, it's called Hellbound Heists. And the fact that you actually do go in there and you perform heists throughout hell. Mm -hmm. And it's such a cool concept. And I got to say, like, I was reading through it and I like the way that the book is set up Mm -hmm. because it does provide kind of like. First of all, it does provide you the idea of, like, yeah, you can use this as a supplement to add on to your Avernus game, but it also can be a campaign all by itself. Oh, yeah. Which I'm looking into it, and I'm like, I'm kind of down for that. Because I can just totally imagine a group of people that would be willing to stay in hell, either prove themselves or stay in hell and, well, you know, get rich or die trying. Yeah. And they even have, like, suggestions on, like, how to tie in all the different uh, adventures that are in this book. And they also neatly uh give some reference material too where it's like if you're interested in learning more about Avernus check out these books and I really appreciated that
0: yeah Other. they uh so I, I'm, I'm gonna talk about this part there are a couple things about it um the art is kind of all over the place mm-hmm. but I kind of love that it's yeah. it, because this was a group effort just as a heads up there were let's see, one, two, three, four. 5, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 people that worked on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though like you'll have one image that is like this amazing Rakshasa that is fully detailed and shadowed and it looks
1: like something straight out of a, it looks
0: like a freaking a D&D magic D&D card. Yeah. Like, And then you'll have another one that is kind of a more simple, like second edition, first edition looking yeah, thing. It
1: does have, it's very reminiscent where it's like a full on sketch, like yeah. in a notebook and it actually looks really cool. A lot of them do. They do.
0: And and that's the thing. Like the art is good. It's just, it is slightly jarring when like you turn one page and there's that rock sauce and then you turn another page and it's a completely different art style. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was jarring at first, but, like, as I kept looking through it, I was like, I, I do kind of really love this. And, like, the maps are different for each location. They're done by different people. And so I just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up that, like, if you are, like, you know, art is a big deal to you to let you know about that. But you should definitely give this more of a chance than what is the art because the, the supplement itself is really good. They yeah. also have, like... 50 new creatures it's over 50 yeah i mean like
1: i straight up spent money on an entire supplement for like that amount of monsters for ravnica Mm -hmm. and that didn't include a bunch of adventures and fun like nbcs and everything like that it was just like creatures (laughs) when
0: i got to the back section of the book and just kept scrolling through Mm -hmm. the creatures i was like no there's no way these are all new and yeah they were well like I say new; they're new to fifth edition, because and they added some of my favorite fourth yeah. edition, like, like the Blood Fiend. I love the Blood Fiend, and I have Spooky. stats for it again. Oh my <laughs> god! Uh, the and the the Cadaver Collector, like this they and they have the art from fourth edition, which mm-hmm. is super cool. Um, so, like even just on its own, like you get over fifty new creatures for like Hell Adventures. Yeah, that alone is awesome. And yeah. there's uh, magic items and handouts like this thing. This is a labor of love, and you can really tell it, and I'm, I'm head over heels for it. Like, I don't think it's going to replace my Avernus adventure like you said you were going to do.
1: Yeah, Um. I straight up told Trevor <laughs> before we started, I'm like, this is honestly what I was looking for when I got Avernus. Because the my, my character's level 14, and honestly, reading through the book, it's like, yeah, I could kind of do what I did with Storm King's Thunder and up everything, but it won't really feel the same because it kind of feels like a wonky adventure but this one it's like oh oh i could i can do this and it really feels like i can easily throw it into my campaign and i feel like mm-hmm. they would have a lot of fun with it and this is like exactly what i was looking for when i wanted that hell campaign and i'm i'm real excited to look and really read through these missions in particular because i mean like there's so many cool aspects about it too like there's uh, corruption tables there's mm-hmm. how you go about traveling there's oh like, yeah yeah you ran yeah. that off
0: before that i mean like straight really up good. they were
1: talking about like oh how to travel and one of my biggest issues personally with tomb of annihilation was how they handled the travel bits and it was kind of like uh, you get random encounters and then you also have to roll the dice five more times to determine what happens in a day and then you have to roll all of that three times mm-hmm. and it gets oh, like God. Really travel tedious. is terrible, man. But, like, this, just even reading over, like, how the leg system is set up, I'm, like, looking at it, I'm like, yeah, I could could go with this. This could really work. And I could see my players actually having fun and feeling like they actually have a decision and impact on how they travel. Mm -hmm. My only, because I actually haven't read through all of it yet, my only gripe right now is just how lengthy the block text looks. Mm -hmm. Because I've done that before where I've read, like, this three paragraph block text and by the time i'm on like the middle of the second paragraph i look at my players and they're just kind of like
0: eyes glazed over i don't
1: i'm not comprehending what you're saying to me and i'm just waiting for you to finish
0: i will say that it doesn't look like there is block text in every adventure yeah uh but yeah some of it is pretty lengthy but i will point out they do something that i really love and they mention the creatures that are in the freaking room (laughs) in the block text Good God, do I hate that in, other, in supplements where it's just like, it is a barren and empty room with cobwebs hanging on it. Oh, also a beholder.
1: Yep. And mm. you only get that in the text about three paragraphs down.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> sure that word is bolded but that really doesn't help you when you're reading aloud the thing and it's like oh well i want to go just i want to see what's in the bookcase Mm -hmm. well before you move in yeah let me also tell you what's in the room (laughs) um yeah i really appreciate that the monsters are included and any npcs are included in the block text too i believe in at least the ones i've read so far
0: mm -hmm. but yeah you're right there there is some pretty lengthy block text but um i i don't think it's it's too terrible
1: yeah no i'm and from what i've read so far too is that the block text is very much like to the point where it's like this is your first objective and this is your second objective and then you read what the objective is which in a way can be nice because i mean like again hearkening back to pathfinder there have been moments where we're in the middle of a dungeon and we all look at each other going why are we here
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah
1: and like and those kind that kind of block text does easily give your players especially through a heist good lord especially through a heist
0: Mm -hmm.
1: why they're doing what they're doing yeah because that can get lost so easily especially if you're trying to plan this convoluted idea into a single thing and players will get lost but block text can help with that but i just know that sometimes if they're too long they can go they can go the opposite of what you wanted them to be
0: well um i think needless to say we both like it we both I uh, think that all yeah. of oh, you guys should go check it out, especially if you're going to be doing an adventure in Avernus or anywhere in the Nine Hells.
1: I'm straight up going to run this game tomorrow because I can't <laughs> run a regular game. It's going to be great. Perfect.
0: <laughs> um Well, so it is on uh, DMs Guild. The PDF is 25.95, dollars uh, 95 And I, there is a lot that is worth it. I, it yeah. is 289 pages long.
1: It's well worth. That totally money. think it's worth it's that worth price. It's worth more.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can also get it in a soft cover for 39. Mm-hmm. You can get it in a hardcover for 49. I'm actually considering getting the 49 dollars hardcover it's one real because pretty. it is a pretty looking book and it has a lot of stuff in it that I am in love with.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, then they got some uh, PDF uh, bonuses in there. Also, if you are listening to it this the week of this release, uh, week of. This podcast release, they are doing a first week sale, and the PDF is nineteen ninety five.
1: Definitely worth a grab, especially yeah. if you want to run the End of like campaign. Check it out; it's yeah. it's well worth it. All
0: right, so yeah, once again, that is Hellbound Heists. Check it out on DM's Guild, and um, you know, let them know that uh, you you found them through us. That'd be cool. <laughs> uh, all right, topic number two. Oh my God, I've thrown too much of my players. What the hell do I do?
1: Okay, first off, don't panic. Oh, I'm
0: panicking.
1: <laughs> um, second off, evaluate kind of what your players can do.
0: Oh, God.
1: <laughs> because that's kind of what I found is the best to do. Because, I mean, like, I, I freaking threw a lich at my players, and they were not prepared for her at all. I threw giants. I threw, like, six giants at my players, and yeah, th- but, none of them had weapons.
0: But were they level seven?
1: They were level ten at the time. They were they're level seven. <laughs> um. So there's a lot of things you can do, and it's kind of situational. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking about single encounter-wise, that one's probably the easiest one to tackle.
0: Oh, God. I just looked at my fighter's health, and that dragon would insta-kill him with a breath weapon. Okay. <laughs>
1: um, so talking about single encounters, like not talking about the big picture idea mm-hmm. that you're panicking about. Mm-hmm. Um, if you find that your players are super struggling, like if they're in a boss fight and they suddenly can't take out the water orbs and this guy is going to be invulnerable forever. Well, then what are you going to do about that? So it's like one of your options is to easily... There's a few fixed numbers that you shouldn't change. Um, And this is, again, one of the reasons why the DM screen is there um, for you to change things and at your whim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, There are a few fixed numbers that you shouldn't change because players will pick up on it real quick. One of those being AC. I wouldn't recommend changing Oh yeah, changing no, AC no, never change AC. Because your players- They will notice. They will notice immediately. That was one of the things I was glad about, having nine players at the table fighting that dragon, because his AC suddenly went from 15 to 18. Mm-hmm. No one noticed, because there was nine people. But, definitely, unless you're physically showing them that their AC is changing, like, oh, he picks up a shield, or it's like, you notice he cast a spell on himself- then no, don't change the AC. Yeah. And the easiest, easiest way to do it is to adjust other numbers that they wouldn't know otherwise. Like, for example, their modifiers. Mm -hmm. Like, if they're a champion and they're hitting your guys and they're hitting hard, make it so that way. Instead of a plus, like, seven to hit, it's only a plus five to hit. Mm -hmm. And you're only giving them a D6 plus, like, four yeah instead of like 2d6 plus whatever and it's like it's a it's a subtle difference but it makes it it can save your players and you feel like as if there's still that challenge opportunity but it won't kill them outright, and you won't have that panic mode Uh, the second easiest thing and probably the thing i do first every time is adjust the health
0: yeah and like i do have the i do do those things and but this one it's like
1: But this is more grand scale, throwing a lot on for plot reasons, which all makes sense. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to what the players can physically handle and also just emotionally handle, there's it's too much.
0: So, (laughs) (laughs) thanks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In your own words, sort of.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Um, So
1: I mean, like, okay. So ways for you specifically.
0: Well, like, so well, kind of more in a broader thing. Like the thing that I don't want to happen and that i'm always looking to avoid is deus ex Machinas. like i don't want something to just pop in out of nowhere that there yeah. was no foreshadowing about that suddenly helps and saves the players and defeats the yeah. bad thing
1: when i first dm my game my first game i ever dm'd was actually fourth edition and that little one shot was full of what i like to pleasantly call op npcs mm-hmm. they're the ones that literally jumped in and saved the day when my players were dying yeah and I needed those at the time, but I could tell they weren't great. And because it was just, it was a deus ex machina. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. And it's, it, yeah, definitely. You want to avoid those because they feel dirty almost. Like you are supposed oh, to yeah. change things, yeah. but it's like, you are literally doing hand of God. These are, this is, this is just happening yep. now.
0: And like, and I don't want to. Like the things that you suggest at the beginning are really good, yeah. especially in and those like, like quick encounter, encounter things. Yeah, things. Yeah. But like, I don't want to change the health of an ancient red dragon, and no. like they suddenly and you kill it. Yeah. Like, and the the thing is, is that like, honestly, I don't want them to kill the dragon. Um, and I don't particularly like if they kill Valendra. It's like, and eh, whatever, she's a little, she'll come back later. Um. But, th- like, I need to figure out ways that they both leave Yeah, the that- area. And, like, I still, obviously, I want there to be a threat. Like, if the player dies, they die. Mm-hmm. But I don't want it to just be a slaughterhouse. Yeah. So, one of the things that I've been coming up with is, like, so I have people with them. I have two... I have one powerful wizard and one uh, wizard in training with her mm-hmm. that is currently on the airship with them. They have an airship. Cool. Which does have a giant dragon harpoon gun on it. Oh. Um, yeah. And um, I'm going to give them the option. I'm going to tell them not to listen to this episode until we play the next. <gasps> I'm going to give them an option of talking <laughs> to some Aarakocra that actually do have a sort of connection to where yeah. this is all taking place um, and building up a group of things that will be able to help. However, it's like, okay, I have that stuff happening. That's writing a book though. I need them to be able to do stuff.
1: So, I mean, a few options that you can go through is, I think the easiest one would be reevaluating the motivations of your villains mm-hmm. because do the villains all just want to gang up and kill these guys or do they have secondary plots?
0: No. See, that's the great, that is one really good thing. None of the villains currently give a rat's ass about the players.
1: It's the players that give a rat's ass about them. Yes.
0: And so like, that is the one really good thing I have going for it. Um, because no one is going to be hunting down and murdering them, unless somehow one of them gets the ring of winter and starts running away, and then yeah, might have an ancient red dragon and a lich on their ass. Um, so, and I know the I, here's the thing: I know these players; I know they're gonna freaking come up with some craziest plan. They already talked about using a hat of disguise to change into the bad dude's wife and try to <laughs> convince him that everything's okay. Oh no! So it's gonna yeah, like it's gonna be interesting, but. Let, I love let, it. let's put my stuff aside though and just talk about like the general thing of like okay you've thrown too much at your players in the broad sense what do you do
1: um give them options
0: that what yeah no that's really good
1: yeah i mean like give them options of both ways that can help them against the villains and give them options of ways for them to figure out how to take them down like mm-hmm. if they've got a lich against them they're in this huge jungle or this huge continent of Faerun. Somewhere, I mean, it's it's a magical fantasy world, could be a mega consecrated place that undead aren't allowed. Mm -hmm. So if they're being chased by a dragon and a lich, well, you could get to a place where you only have to handle one bad guy at a time. You know, it's it's like, you could give them options to where it's like, oh yeah, you find allies that can specifically help you against one of these people or that can hinder them so that way they're not their priority anymore. When mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have an ally that it's like, no, I can handle this for you. Yeah. That changes an entire PC's world. They're like, wait, you mean we don't have to like do everything? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and then they can suddenly realize we can focus on something and then they can turn off from one of those big things. And so honestly, my, my biggest advice is to give them options as yeah. to what to do because Especially since they're in Chult, <laughs> There are so many things hidden in that jungle. And you can make shit up. Mm-hmm. And just throw it in there. It's true. Yeah.
0: I mean, they are going to kind of be on top of the Tomb of Annihilation.
1: Yeah. So they could go that. in there and use um, it against I, people.
0: Because, I, I like, two of my players were there for all that. I'm like, they know where it is. Like, yeah. they're, they're like, I, I, I know that's metagaming. But I'm like, what if one of them fucking runs over there? <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: they could straight up. I mean, you could have it that it was cleared out, that it was, like, it's easily seen from the air, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, oh, well, that's an interesting area. We yeah. should check it out. And then they go in there and they're like, you could have, like, an easily a dead wizard adventuring party in a journal saying, what this place is! Yeah. To explain the meta knowledge. But it's like, yeah, options are your best friend when it comes to ha- throwing way too much at your players at too early.
0: Um, the The... the bad advice I'm going to give now is see what happens.
1: Honestly, that's probably one of the most fun advice.
0: Um, it's <laughs> it's bad, but I have seen it work plenty of times mm-hmm. um, where I have set up a situation and I'm like, I don't even know how they're going to get out of this. I don't even know how I would get out of this. Yeah. And they do.
1: And they do because players can come up with really creative things, mm-hmm. especially if you're of the type of DM to give them a lot of opportunities and options like yeah. i said like if you give player like magical items are options i'll mm-hmm. just say it right there if you give them a hat of disguise that's an option that they wouldn't have had I without totally it i
0: totally forgot to give him that too
1: and, and it's like they could totally use that and mm-hmm. some way or another they'll use it and it's gonna be great
0: by the way he doesn't know whose hat that is and i do and i think it's really funny oh my god uh- <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's it's so it's like you can continue writing your expansive world and even if this is homebrew too and it has nothing to do with feyroom you can continue writing these grand adventures and these grand villains with their crazy overarching like motivations yeah. and just have the players walk through it like and and, and have them discover what's going to happen when they do things
0: like don't get me wrong the panic is real yeah. but at the same time I'm really excited to see what they do and to see what kind of memories get built out of this. Because, you know, at the end of the day, that's one of my favorite things about D and D is people be like, Oh, do you remember when we did this? Mm -hmm. And I'm, and like, there's part of me that's hoping this turns out to be one of those things. And, um, but at the same time, I'm like, Oh my God. Like, what if they do the wrong thing and they just get freaking burninated?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, like at that point, then it'll turn into a session where everyone's like oh my god do you remember when we lost that yeah and it'll still be an oh my god do you remember moment yeah it won't be for winning maybe but it'll still be that moment where they remember it and they have fun from it hopefully yeah. <laughs> it depends how you handle it but you're you i know you could handle it <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I hope i can um <laughs> but yeah the i there and there's more than just throwing too many like I'm kind of Spider-Man threeing them, where I've just got too many villains on board. <laughs> um, but like when they when I when they got to where they were, where it was in the story, it felt right with it. But there's more ways of doing this than just that. Where it's just like, oh, you've forgotten to give out magic items, and now they're in a spot where they're going to be going up against something that's really tough, and you're looking at their stats, and you're like, they're not gonna have a fun time with this. Yeah, and so. Yeah, in those situations, like, sometimes it is good to deus ex stuff. Um, the, this, like, this there's is a, the... There's a
1: skeleton in the corner with a sword sticking out its back. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> and, and the, all right, okay, slight spoilers for Tomb of Annihilation. Skip over the next, like, 30 seconds. At, at the very end of it, like, they get some powers that buff them and give them regenerative powers. Allows them to
1: get through the Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and so... That is kind of deus ex magnet but they've been setting it up the entire campaign. It's been
1: foreshadowed. Yeah. For sure. Yeah.
0: So if, and, but the thing is though, is that we're in the situation, we're talking about the situation where you haven't foreshadowed that stuff. Yeah. What do you do then when you need to be able to buff your players, give them a fighting chance, but you have not foreshadowed any of that. Ooh. Yeah.
1: Um, I would call upon the land. Honestly, I know that sounds weird. What, really... what do you mean? I, I
0: was like, are okay, we going to so paint like, with all the colors of the wind? <laughs>
1: in a weird way, yes. Oh my So, like, this is a fantasy game.
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: um, Like, if they're a force of good, and if they're being heroic, and if they're not... If they're failing, like, quite literally... Again, this is kind of deus ex machina. But you can have, like, the actual land itself help. I'm not talking about, like, shrubbery and treants <laughs> and, like, physical monster creatures from the land. I'm just picture this but... little
0: shrub, like, fizzwig and dark crystal <laughs> that just comes up.
1: Here's your magic plus three sword. I don't know why I talk like this. Shrubbery! <laughs> but, like, you could have some unexplainable magical moment that can power up these guys when all hope seems lost. And that's very much almost like a trope, you know, where it's like something comes in and helps you when all hope seems lost. But that's also literally what you're doing because all hope seems lost. And you're at a point as a DM where it's like, well, I didn't plan on doing a TPK here and I don't want it to be a TPK.
0: I'm going to add on something to that. Yeah. I think that's a great ideal. Did I say idea or ideal? God, it's late. (laughs) Um, I think you should do that and something bad comes out of it yeah um we did everything has a cost <laughs> we didn't get to play out the full effect of it but when you guys got the holy symbol of ravenkind uh that was with the help of a person who you still don't know who that is yeah and had basically a tardis house and uh owen Gave his soul for it. hmm And so that was my whole thing because I realized, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get you guys into Ravenloft. I'm not going to be able to get you guys to do this. And so I wanted a way to have you be able to get it. Yeah. So I had her show up, which was sort of a deus ex because She literally came out of nowhere.
1: Literally. <laughs> but
0: you were all terrified of this very nice and elegant woman
1: (laughs) everything in the area so far had proven to be terrifying so we're like we should treat this with the same fear
0: (laughs) yeah and granted i didn't actually get to play out what happened there and honestly i kind of want to in a future game um
1: uh, i don't know if i remember telling you this but if amelia had survived that she was gonna go adventuring with owen to get it back uh, oh that's gonna be cool yeah um (laughs) but she didn't but
0: the i mean this is kind of spoilers for you but like there were some negative ulterior motives there Mm -hmm. and there was going to be some big consequences and so i think one of the things that you can do is you can give buffs or magic items or something you can have you make a npc for yourself that is kind of this dealer i mean hey Descend into Avernus, you know, call out here. Yeah. You can have devil contracts and stuff like that where, like, a devil comes up and he's like, hey, you're going to die soon. Would you like to not?
1: Yeah. And I love that idea of, like, providing a magical answer but it coming at a cost. Yeah. Because... And, and
0: I think it should. And I think that's one way that saves deus ex machina is because a deus ex machina is where it's just so- something suddenly happens and everything <coughs> is great now. Yeah. But the way that I feel like you can mitigate that is everything's great right now. Wait three days lit from now.
1: And plus it also provides really cool plot hooks for you, the DM, to figure out later.
0: Yes. And I have done plenty of those where like I did something to help out players. Oh my God. I think I figured out something that I could do with the other game. Anywho, sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Realization dawning. Uh, you can do things that will help out the players that will royally fuck them up later
1: but for the next session, it'll help. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But, but then when that thing happens, when they are totally fucked, they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening, but we had to do it. Yeah. Like we had to do it. We didn't have any other choice. And so doing stuff like that can be fun. Like you can even wait until all the way to the point where there is a TPK. And then something goes, would you like to go back to your bodies a little bit more powerful?
1: I mean, that's, Kinda what happened to me in the Valindra fight, mm-hmm. because this this woman she came in, this woman, <laughs> and she did TPK them. Yeah, they were all on the ground. Bertram, friggin', God willing, literally, mm-hmm. she's like, "You're gonna be up to see this." Mm-hmm. And I had one of them essentially get cursed so that way he can come back and myrtleize her. That's awesome. But however, now he's stuck with this curse. Mm -hmm. And now he's like, I don't know how to deal with this. And it's freaking me out. And everyone's (laughs) like, yeah, we don't know how to deal with it either because it was scary. And so it's like, it helped them take down this lich. And Valendra was afraid of it, too. Mm -hmm. That's how powerful it was. But it's also that powerful as to freak out the other players. Yeah. So it's like, there was that little moment of, I'm going to come in and help you with my little DM hand. But also i'm gonna leave you with something too (laughs) yeah
0: that's i like that yeah um i i I can't talk i'm it's light um i think that's some really good advice though yeah (laughs) um if you have any more questions about what to do when you've thrown too much at your players and think that an ancient red dragon with level seven players is an okay thing to do uh, go ahead and <laughs> write into fine. go ahead and write into difficultyclass at gmail.com. We'll talk about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so um, we got uh, it's not quite a listener question, but I wanted to talk about this. So Aaron wrote in. We talked about last week how he worked on. Again, Aaron, I don't know if you're a dude or a woman. Can you please just tell me? (laughs) Because I don't know. Or if you don't want to, just tell me they. I'll do that. Whatever. I'm I'm cool. I just... I don't... I feel... Yeah. It's late. I'm sorry. Um... So... Uh, Aaron has been working on a supplement that they wrote in one day <laughs> and even admitted yeah, that goodness. that was a little bit much. Yeah, seriously. Uh, and, and currently, it, it, what did what is it, it say? Is, uh, the Deitchman supplement or Deitchman method. <laughs> yes. Um, working on what we talked about with separating ability scores from race and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, now Aaron, I'm going to be up front with you. I haven't had it. Neither of us had a chance to read it. It's been kind of a hectic time.
1: I've looked through it and I'm I'm already impressed. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: but I, I do want to actually give it the deep dive and, uh, look into it. And you even said that you're building a character right now, which is super cool. And I do want to try that out too. But what I want to go over real quick is, um, Aaron said in their email that, uh, they're feeling like when they're working on this, when they're building the character with what they've worked on, the instinct is to go to what the book says. Yeah. The instinct is to go with what the rules say. And then there's that fleeting thought that like, oh, I'm only doing this so I can min-max a character. Okay. That's, that's homebrewing. Like, yeah. That's
1: what homebrew will feel like.
0: Yeah. And don't worry about that. Like, this is your own thing and you're, testing it out
1: yeah kudos for playtesting it that's, yeah that's really awesome yeah
0: i know plenty of people that do not do that they just come to the table with artifacts that they've never tried out before and give them all their players and then see what happens and then
1: everything kind really, of worked
0: Trevor? okay yeah yep. i never i never <laughs> i would never play tested those i just gave you guys ridiculously I spent broken like things
1: three weeks on spencer's artifact cloak <laughs> like i've spent
0: forever on that I didn't even give them a second draft. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you, hey, good on you for playtesting them out. Uh, but don't worry about feeling like you're min-maxing them because you even heard in this conversation, and you know from what you've said in your emails, like this is because separating the race from the ability score makes sense if a Goliath wants to be a monk and mm-hmm. it works that way. So keep at it and we will read it and I would love to see where yeah. this goes. And heck, maybe you're going to get it to the point where you can put it on DM's guild and we would love to spotlight it here I for you. I would love
1: to spotlight that. That would be amazing if yes, like please. you got it
0: all the way to that point. So please do that. Yes. Um,
1: but yeah, definitely don't feel bad about like the feeling that you're min-maxing. I mean, like the difference between you using this... <laughs> The Dychman variant, so to speak. <laughs> You're so happy. With I that. am. I'm smiling. Um, is the difference is that instead of ha- being forced to choose the halfling rogue, you can instead to min-max. Yeah. You can instead choose whatever you wanted I want to, be to a minmax. Dwarf
0: rogue. You could so be bad. a
1: dwarven rogue. And no, no, I want to be a turtle rogue. Oh my god, that would be amazing. You just pop into your shell. <laughs> I love it. Have some cronk moments. Yeah. <laughs> and like you. The only difference between being that min maxer halfling rogue and the min maxer dwarven rogue is the fact that you physically can't do it with the dwarven rogue, mm-hmm. but with this Deichmann variant, so to speak, you could, and there would be no difference.
0: Uh, and, uh, uh, Aaron said in there that, like, about like a Goliath monk and how like they would be training for it and everything, and how they even though they, they, they would still have some limitations to them, and I, I do agree with that, but it wouldn't be mechanical. You're a Goliath. You're not squeezing through the places a yeah. halfling rogue is. Yeah. So you're still you still have a uh, some things set against you for being a Goliath rogue, but you don't have the actual mechanical negative, you know, points to being one. Yeah. Just because that's what you want to make. So no, I think it's awesome. You know, we talked at length about separating those things Mm -hmm. if you didn't hear it i highly suggest go back and listen to it because if i do say so myself it's
1: a pretty fun topic
0: yeah (laughs) uh but Aaron, keep writing and uh, we'd we'd love to take a look at it definitely all right well i think that's gonna do it for this week's show it's uh it's not it's not too much longer it's a little bit longer, but uh, <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, it would be awesome if you could go leave a review on whatever podcast service you were listening to. Uh, you know, you could leave that five star. That'd be real cool. You know, if you leave a one star, please don't. Don't be a jerk. Um,
1: <laughs> or do and be critic. Like tell us what we're doing wrong yeah
0: like oh, you know what you know that's true. if you actually think our show is really bad go ahead and leave it a one and tell us why though just like how we told wizards that we didn't like that on earth arcana so i can't really say bad shit about that <laughs> um also if you did really like this go ahead and please tell your friends that would be really great that is one w- that's really the big way that we are going to grow is through word of mouth we have social media that you can follow we're on twitter at difficulty class on instagram at difficulty podcast and that is another way that we're trying to keep ourselves growing but yeah if if you could let people know, that would be great. And you can write in your own questions, topics, stories, whatever. You could just email us and want to talk, whatever. You can send those into difficultyclass at gmail.com. Yeah, we'll chat. Mm-hmm. I've emailed Aaron a few times. Sorry, I don't get back to you every time I feel bad sometimes. <laughs> um but uh until next week, don't get killed by a blood fiend.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh,